Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 10. Uh, you're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thank you for being along with me today. We are continuing our look at sort of the, the historical setting into which Jesus comes in the Incarnation as we prepare ourselves to, to welcome him again and to celebrate the advent of Christ into the world. And so what we've done so far, we started at about 323 B.C. after the death of Alexander the Great, and we worked ourselves through the intrigues and the, the changes in leadership that bring us through the period known as the Maccabeans, through the, that's called the Hasmonean Dynasty. And so we've gotten through that part of everything, and now we're, we're coming to a new chapter and a new phase, and this today will get us up to, historically, that'll get us up to that time, and then over the next several days, the next week, we're going to spend some time looking at the various parties that are there. I'm just trying to give you the historical context now, because what we need to see is is that, that this is a very tense time. It's tense within Judaism. It's tense in Judaism's relationship to its Roman overlords. It's tense with respect to the specific overlords who were there, Herod and Pontius Pilate. It's also tense beyond that in Rome, because the Jews were expelled from Rome uh, at this time. Um, that they were, There's always been this enmity against the Jews, and, and it's so bizarre because it plays itself out in this anti-Semitism that's true in our day as well. And, and it comes down to the fact that God blesses this people. It's an amazing thing, absolutely amazing, that the, that the Jewish people— have persevered throughout history when all these other people groups that we meet in the Bible are long gone. But but we see in this Jewish group, we see something that is truly extraordinary. If you want to watch something good about it, look up on YouTube, go and find Meyer, M-E-I-R, M-E-I-R, Soloveitchik, S-O-L-E-V-E-S-O-L-O-V-E-C-H-E-I-K. So Meyer Soloveitchik. So look him up because he does some good stuff on on the the incredible perseverance of Judaism over time. When when there were multiple times it could have ended. I'll put a link to to at least the first one of those. There's like eight videos and they're all pretty short. They're, they're all less than ten minutes long, I believe. And so I'll put a link to that in the in the description over on the anchor page where where the podcast is hosted, and I'll also post it a link on the uh, Faith Seeking Understanding page on Facebook, which is, if you go there, it's facebook.com slash faith and understanding. And so if you just want to look up the link for it, that's how you get to that. So I'll put the link to the to Soloveitchik's um, teachings there, because it it's really is impressive. It, it's, it's really absolutely amazing. But, but it's because God's hand is on them, because he's still in covenant with them. He makes covenants that are everlasting, 
Now, we're, we're brought into that covenant not through circumcision and not through the keeping of the law, but through Christ. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his blood shed for us there, we come in that way into the covenant. So, it, but it's, so it's different, but we're grafted in, as Paul says in Romans 11. He talks about we are grafted into the natural stock of Judaism from which we came. There, there, there's no Christianity without Judaism, and so anti-Semitism among Christians is repugnant. It should never, ever happen. So at any rate, here we are now. We, we've just passed on from Alexander Janius, who was kind of the last of the Hasmonean dynasty. And then we move, he was, and then we move into a new era, and that's the Roman era. By 63 B.C., Judea was clearly under Roman rule, although the Jews had a certain amount of freedom. Their, their religion, for instance, was allowable. They could practice it. There were other religions that couldn't be practiced in the Roman Empire, but Judaism could. And, and there's no great um, uh, source for saying, oh, okay, here's why. So they could practice their religion. And then, so Julius Caesar was over as the emperor, right? And then in 44 BC, he was murdered. And so then Palestine, that area, that region, suffered under both Cassius and Antony who followed Julius Caesar. In the year 40, so four years after Julius is killed, when the Parthians invaded Syria and Palestine, that's the region, that's the word that was used for it at the time, Antigonus, who was a Jew, joined them, and with their support, captured Jerusalem. He he was so upset with this whole thing that that Hyrcanus, the guy who had made himself the, um, the priest, that Antigonus hated him. And so what did he do? He, he, he took over Jerusalem, and then he cut off Hyrcanus' ears. Why did he do that? Well, because he's mutilated. He, is not, he has defects, and so he can no longer serve as high priest. He didn't depose him. He made it impossible for him to become the king. So uh, the priest, I mean. So Antigonus held control for about three years, so from 40 to 37. Then he was defeated by Herod and then beheaded by Rome. So the, the Jews were now subject to foreign rule once again. He was their king, and he was sort of a half-Jew, but Rome really had the power. He served at their pleasure, and he knew it. He was the son. His father was an Idumean, um, which is right there in the land. Remember, I told you yesterday, they conquered the Idumeans and forced them to convert to Judaism. Well, who are they? They're the descendants of Edom, which is Esau. So how bizarre now that you've got this Herod, who is the son of an Idumean. He, was, he himself was Idumean, and they were the conquered people. And his father was a ruler there, and he was highly respected in Rome. And so now they're conquered, and they're forced to become Jews. And so Herod's father, and then Ant- Antipater is his name. So Antipater, the father of Herod, is forced to convert, and therefore Herod is raised like a Jew. But their ancestry doesn't go back to Jacob. It goes back to Esau, of all things. It's absolutely unbelievable. So his father made sure that he, he Herod, was made governor in Galilee. So, but, but Herod was, was a smart guy. He was cruel and he was wicked, but he was a smart guy. He knew where his bread was buttered, and he knew what he had to do to maintain that rule. So he, he found favor with Caesar and with Cassius and with Anthony and, and 
with the help of some bribes, he was made the king of Judea. So he was still a vassal under Rome, but he didn't have to pay Rome. He didn't have to give tribute to Rome, and he had the right to levy his own taxes. So he was a very wealthy man, and he raised a lot of money. Now, what's the other side of it is, is that he used that to make—he wanted his place— to be a jewel in the crown of the emperor. And so he spent that money to in building projects, not the least of which is he tore down the 500-year-old temple that had been built in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, and he constructed a new temple, which out which actually was greater than Solomon's temple in its splendor and its glory. And it's because he wanted Rome to have respect for him. He wanted, as I said, to be a jewel in the crown of the Roman emperor. And so he, he made everything nice there. And so he did all these incredible building projects. Well, then, then, then he decided, you know what, I, I, I've got favor with Rome. Now, in order to have peace here at home, what I need to do is I need to figure out how to align myself with the Jewish ruling class. So what did he do? He married a woman named Mariamne, who was the daughter of Hyrcanus II, whose ears had been cut off by Antigonus. So he was, he was the niece of Antigonus, though. I mean, it's an amazing thing. He was the daughter of Hyrcanus II and also the niece of his enemy, Antigonus. So he needed to replace that priest. So what did he do? He said, okay, let's do this. I'll try and make these pious Jews happy at some level. I'll try and, and get them to calm down, and, and I'll name a Zadokite priest. Zadok was, the, was a priestly line. And so he, he chose a man named Hananiel. But nobody liked Hananiel. <laughs> nobody wanted Hananiel to be the, the priest there. And so he finally backed up and said, okay, I'm gonna, there's a popular choice here, and his, his name is Aristobulus. He made him the high priest in order to appease the people. Well, at least for a few minutes, and then he decided, you know what, I don't really like this. I, I don't like bowing to the will of the people in this way. So what did he do? He drowned <laughs> the high priest. He drowned Aristobulus. And then he got acquittal from Rome, probably by paying another bribe for that crime against them. So now he, what has he done? He's eliminated the Hasmoneans. He's married to one, but he's eliminated him. He didn't continue to be married to Mary Amney, though, the Hasmonean princess. No, he did not. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you in a minute. I'll tell you in a minute. It's, it's, it's a sick family. I'm telling you, Herod's family, sick people, cruel, lust for power like nothing you've ever seen in your life, willing to kill their brothers and sisters and even their own children in order to preserve that power. This is a nasty, nasty bunch of people. So he eliminated them, and he brought to line, brought to an end the line of the royal priests, those guys who, who were also priests and royalty. So that, that, that was an abomination to the Israelites to start with. That's not ever how it was supposed to be. So he finds this sort of backdoor horrible way of, of getting rid of that whole thing. Now what happens is he has power. And he has the power to appoint the high priest, which he does seven different times during his tenure, which ends in about 1 BC. He is the Herod the Great, is what he's called, Herod the Great. He is the Herod who, who decided to slaughter the innocents after these magi come and tell him that the Jewish king has been born. Herod doesn't know this. 
it's not his uh, wheelhouse at all because he doesn't care. He, he's nominally Jewish, but but it helps him at some level to be Jewish, and so he plays that up at home, makes little of it when he's in Rome, but he plays it up at home. But the, but the issue is is that, that now he gets to name the high priest, which means he controls. He controls the religious establishment as well as the temporal authority. He is the temporal ruler, and now these high priests are always going to be beholden to him because he can he can move them in and out. Like I said, he did seven high priests around the days of Jesus, but he is so insecure. Like I said, he's willing to kill his own children, um, and, and certainly his brothers and sisters are, are not safe from him either. So when he goes against the children born at the time that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, when he goes against the innocents there, and then remember Joseph sees this in a dream, and he flees to Egypt per God's instructions. Herod shows himself to be so much like the Pharaoh who held the Egyptians, or held the Israelites captives in Egypt. It's unbelievable, because what did he do? He used them for his building projects. What did Herod do? Same deal. What does he do when he feels threatened? Same thing Pharaoh did. Let's kill the children. Let's kill the males to eliminate the competition. And so that's exactly what Herod does. I'm telling you, he's a terrible guy. So he, he, he keeps naming these people. They're all beholden to him. But the other weird thing that he did in order to control them even more was whenever they needed their garments, like the, the, the priestly garments for the, that they would use for service in the temple, he kept all those and they had to come get them from him. So they were they knew that that they they had to be allowed to serve in that role. They they didn't have the freedom to do it day by day. They had to go and get things from Herod so that they could carry out those priestly duties and and without them they're not allowed under the ritual law to carry out those priestly duties. You've got to make sure that you have the right attire in order to do that. And so he really controlled the priesthood entirely. You didn't want to make him mad because you wouldn't have to go to him every single day and get the things you needed. When he died, he made his son Archelaus the king. Now, that Archelaus, this is Herod, um, he's the one who puts John the Baptist to death. So his other sons then, beyond Archelaus, are tetrarchs. They're rulers over par- portions, and so they're sub-rulers. So you've got Antipas in Galilee, Perea and Philip in the northeast, and then they, they ratified the will— but reduced Archelaus to ethnarch of Judea, Samaria, and Idumea. <clears throat> so the, the other weird thing is there's one other little thing, one other little rulership that's granted by that will, and that is a rulership over a small little area on the coast to somebody named Salome. Who is this Salome? Salome is the sister of Herod the Great. She played a huge background role, as did her daughter Bernice, who we meet in Acts with Agrippa. There's something sick about their relationship between Herod Agrippa and Bernice. They are not husband and wife. They are brother and sister. And so Salome has this strange pull and tug over Herod, enough so that she got him to execute his wife, Mariamne, the one I told you about before, who was from the Hasmoneans. So he executed her and their two sons because of Salome the first. Salome the second, remember, is the daughter of Herod Antipas, who is the one who ultimately allows him to put John the Baptist to death because of her dance before Herod. 
It's absolutely unbelievable. These people are terrible. <clears throat> and so he's, she's the one who encouraged him to favor um, Antipater. So it's, it's just crazy. So Archelaus comes in, and he reigns for about 10 years from 4 B.C. to 6 A.D., and then he angered the Jews by marrying his brother's widow and deposing high priests. He was subsequently banished by Rome, so that's what happens to that Herod. And so it, you, you see these, all these things lining up. There's these tensions, and everybody's concerned about the Jews. They, 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 they have a concern that they're going to cause an uproar. And, and they had in multiple times, not just throughout history, but we read about another one in the, um, in the Gospels, actually, another guy who raises up people to follow. We see that in the book of Acts, that, no, Gamaliel says, just let it be. If it's, if it's of God, then it'll flourish, and if it's not, it'll flame out anyway, like it always does. And so there's always this concern, and the Romans wanted one thing, and that is peace. They wanted stability. They didn't want any problems. That, that Pax Romana, the Roman peace, that was supposed to reign all over the world. And so the, the job of Herod, the job of all these leaders, was to do one thing, maintain that peace, whatever it took. And so Herod tried to figure out all the angles of how to do that. But he was most interested in power. And any threat to that power had to be quashed immediately, and it had to be quashed violently. And so there was always this concern about these things. And then you've got all the religious issues that are going on with the people as well. And so we're going to look at some of those over the last week of Advent. But but I wanted to give you this, this historical setting to show you the various factions that had played themselves out over the past about 300 years prior to the birth of Christ and the tenuous grip that Rome had over that area and, and how it felt threatened constantly because it was a far enough outpost from Rome that it was hard and you had to rely on these other guys to maintain order. And, and, and it, was, it would have been easier to put it down and abolish the practice of the religion and essentially neutering the people than, than it was to continue to tolerate this. And so when Jesus comes and first the Magi come and tell Herod that the Jewish king has been born, and then all the way through to the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday when the people are proclaiming him to be the son of David, the messianic king. And the Pharisees say, shut them up. This is going to be a problem if you don't shut them up because they're proclaiming a king in spite of the fact that we're under Roman rule and we have an emperor and he will tolerate no rivals to his throne. It's, it's a tense, filled time. We're going to talk next week about more of the parties involved in Judaism as well as the, the surrounding area. So I hope you have a blessed weekend and a blessed uh, Sunday worship.